are invited to turn with me into your Bibles to Luke 10. After spending the last four or five weeks in this particular text, your Bibles just ought to fall right open to that passage. Once again, we'll read together the first 12 verses. Luke 10, 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. A few years ago, Tom Hanks starred in a movie entitled A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It was the story of a man named Fred Rogers. In 1992, Mr. Rogers received an honorary doctorate, his 25th honorary doctorate from Boston University. And when he was introduced, the 5,000 graduates stood and applauded for so long that the only way he could get them to quiet down and to sit down was to invite them to sing. And even though when I stood up here just a few moments ago this morning and you didn't applaud and you didn't stand up, we're going to sing that song together that they sang when Mr. Rogers stood up. Hopefully you know this song as well. To be mine, would you be mine? Could you be mine? would a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please 
Please won't you be my neighbor? We're going to have to work on that. <laughs> Everyone loved Mr. Rogers. And once you get this song in your head, and it's been in my head all week, you just can't get it out. And the truth is, it's kind of driving me crazy. So we have spent the last four or five weeks focusing together on this particular passage from Luke chapter 10, trying to get it deep into our heart, deep into our soul, and into our DNA. And we've said that this particular passage is about Jesus' strategy for bringing in his kingdom. We've noted that Jesus is the ultimate kingdom bringer. For when Jesus ascended, he said to his disciples, here's the plan. You've been watching, you have been learning, you have been practicing, and now I am turning the whole thing over to you. I'm turning you loose. You will be my hands, and you will be my feet, and you will be my voice. You will be my kingdom bringers. We've been praying that God will use this particular series, not only to teach us more and more about the mission of God, but to actually get us more and more involved in it. We have noted that God has called us to pray for the harvest, but he's also invited us to be the workers in his harvest. We've talked about how we were sent by God. We've talked about how we were sent for the harvest. We've talked about how we have been sent into the fields, into our neighborhoods, and how we were sent with good news so that we could be a blessing to this world. This morning, I want to focus on the reality that if God is sending us, then we need to go. That is, if we are to be followers of Jesus Christ and he leads, we need to follow. And if he sends us, we need to go where he directs. So this morning, we're going to walk through some principles. Some of these might be reminders. Some of these might be new but some principles that Luke writes for us here in this particular text, and then we'll commission you. So the first verse says, the Lord Jesus appointed 72 others. He selected these from his followers. These were not his 12 disciples, but for those that had followed him, and he sent them out, the scripture says. And on the surface, Sounds pretty simple. But this is actually the single biggest, the single most difficult step in the whole process. People are theoretically, in principle, if you will, on board with this plan. It's God's plan. How would you disagree? As long as somebody else is doing it. These 72 appointed emissaries of Jesus were expected to leave the safety of being huddled together, of just simply following Jesus, and actually go out and meet and in greet and engage and bring good news and offer a blessing to people in their neighborhood and in the surrounding cities. And this is where this plan normally encounters some resistance. 
What if I say something wrong? What if I do something and they don't like it? What if I didn't pray enough before I went? What if they just ignore me and walk away? What if they get upset or even angry or belligerent? It would be okay. Things would get better. They would learn. It would be on-the-job training. They were reminded, Jesus is reminding them, there's only one thing that matters. They are being sent. There's only one response to that. That's to go. The first step, the first principle is we need to get out of the house. We need to step out of our huddle. If we're going to love our neighbors, if we're going to evangelize the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we're going to usher in the kingdom of God, then we need to get out of the house or out of the church. Today, people don't walk into a church any more than you or I would walk into a synagogue or a mosque. It just doesn't happen. At the same time, we can't outsource this kind of love to our, to our neighbor, to other people. And even though some have tried, it has not been successful at all. When we go out, truth is, we might have an unpleasant experience. We might feel very uncomfortable. It might not go as well as we hoped or would like. But if we don't get out of the house, if we don't get into the neighborhood, if we're not incarnational, then we'll never be able to show any love to our neighbors. Here's the thing. Jesus is already at work in your neighborhood. He's already at work in the hearts and lives of those who are in the houses next door and across the street and who live behind you. He's already at work in the other apartments in your complex and the other cubicles in your office. The Spirit is already there. The Spirit is doing advanced work, preparing them for your engagement. This is what I know. You're living, working next to somebody who was created in the image of God but you'll never really get to know them if we don't get out of the house, if we don't get out of our huddles. And that's why Jesus sends us, pushes us out. Walk around your neighborhood. Bake something and share it. Invite somebody over for coffee. Use the same person at checkout week after week so you get to know them. Hand out the best candy in the neighborhood next month. Throw a Matthew party or promote a Christmas gathering. Several people I know picked one Saturday morning in the fall and they invited their neighbors to come to a pancake breakfast on their driveway. They passed out flyers promising that there would be pancakes and syrup and plates and forks and coffee and orange juice. The neighbors were invited to come, bring their own chairs to sit in. And if they liked, they could bring sausage or bacon or ham. People came, just hung out together on a Saturday morning. See, the first step is to get out of our house, to step out of our comfort zone, to engage our neighbors. 
Understand Jesus is sending this group of 72 out. And please note the context. There is no mention of previous training. There is no mention that they have rehearsed how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no conversation about whether they feel adequate or prepared before they go out. Truth is, it didn't matter. It was Jesus. Jesus said, go, and they would go. His prompting, his sending was the only encouragement that they needed. Step number one, principle number one, we just need to get out of the house. Principle number two is that Christ's mission is designed to be done in community, together. Jesus sends out these 72, he pairs them up, and the scripture says they went out two by two. And you might wonder, why does he send them out in pairs? And the answer is because he knows us. He knows that if it was just us and just by ourselves, we would stay at home. It's much easier, much simpler. He knows that it's going to take somebody else that we're accountable to to go out. He also knows that we'd be much easier discouraged if we were in it all by ourselves. He knows we'd bail. We'd give up. When we do it together, we can say, I want to love the people in my neighborhood more effectively. Would you help me? Would you pray for me? Would you encourage me? Would you ask me on occasion how it's going? Would you help me? Would you go with me? Find somebody to partner with. Find somebody to share the adventure with. Part of Christ's commission is to go out together, two by two. If you're married, might be the person you're married to. Because you know they're most of the time right there with you. Hopefully they're living in the same neighborhood you're living in. And if you're not married, well, perhaps you might find a stranger in the gathering area after church this morning and you could ask them, would you marry me so that I could be more effective? <laughs> okay, maybe not. But maybe there's somebody else in your neighborhood you could pair up with. Maybe somebody in your small group. Maybe somebody at work. You could start a Bible study together. We need to do this together and encourage one another. Farmers tend to be very partial and very committed to a certain brand of equipment. That is, most farmers are either sold out to John Deere or they're sold out to New Holland or Kubota or to International. They don't mix and they don't match, but the truth is when the harvest comes and when one farmer needs the assistance of another farmer, it doesn't matter what kind of brand equipment is going to show up. The harvest needs to come in. And whatever it takes, they'll set it aside so they can do it together. Everything falls in importance and significant to the harvest. To bring in the spiritual harvest, we need to stop majoring in minors. We need to get the work done that needs to get done. And the time is short and we need to do the harvest, bring in the harvest before it's too late. We need to do it together. Principle number three, pray regularly for your neighbors. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. The truth is everyone needs God. But the workers are few. 
The workers here are just people that are committed in Jesus' name to loving their neighbors. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers into the harvest field. You see, this is not a humanly designed mission. And as a result, this mission itself requires divine power. And it means you and I have to ask God to share that divine power with us, to come, if you will, in supernatural ways into our neighborhood. Every neighbor and every neighborhood needs prayer. In a previous church, the leadership decided on one occasion that they would shorten the morning worship service from 75 minutes to 45 minutes. And during that extra half hour, they would invite people in the congregation to go out into the neighborhood and just walk up and down the streets and to invite God to offer them opportunities to pray with people that they might come in contact with. We encountered significant resistance. Not from the neighbors. They openly shared deep wounds, shared their pain, shared their losses, and thanked us for our willingness to simply pause and to pray with them. The resistance came from church members. Even today, the truth is, is that if you offer to pray for a complete stranger, that offer will almost always be generously received and appreciated. For those of you that have an outline, you will notice there's a tic-tac-toe chart on your outline that was not designed to keep you busy before the worship service started. We're not going to play tic-tac-toe here as a break, but I'm going to invite you to put your name in the middle square. That's your house. And then you'll notice there's two squares on each side. There are three squares in front, and there are three squares behind. That's your neighborhood. Do you know your neighbor's names, write them in, fill out the tic-tac-toe board. Do you know what they do for a living? Add it down there. Do you know what prayer needs they might have? Add them into the list. Let's pray for our neighbors. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know their names? First step. And just so you know, this wasn't my idea. This is Jesus' idea. He said, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. We have to get into our neighborhood. We have to get to know people. We have to put a name with a face in order to do that. And then we can start to pray for them. And every one of us can pray. Principle number four. In your neighborhood, look for the person of peace. This is the fifth verse. See, Jesus' instructions here are, for me, fascinating. He says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a person of peace is there, then your peace will rest on them. And if not, it will return back to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you. What does Jesus mean by a person of peace? Since we have a finite amount of time, a finite amount of energy, a finite amount of resources. Jesus says, when you go someplace, when you connect with somebody, when you're engaged, look for a person who can bring peace and blessing. A person of peace is somebody in your neighborhood who is generally hospitable. They are receptive. They are respected. And they are responsive to your conversations even your spiritual ones. 
Every neighborhood has people who are outgoing with a natural gift of connecting. There often seems to be people hanging around in their yards. So as you're walking by, they're just hanging out and it signals an openness as if they're saying, here I am. You know what? I just love to talk. Come and talk to me. If they're organized and hospitable, you might catching them putting up their Christmas lights in a few weeks. If they're hospitable and very disorganized, you might find them taking down their Christmas lights from last year. Jesus says, focus on the people who seem to be most responsive. Those are the ones the Spirit has already been working in. Start a book club. Take a housewarming gift to somebody who's moving in. Write a little note saying their yard looks great, but only if their yard looks great. Shovel the driveway for an elderly couple or for a single parent. Bless them and see how they respond. Focus on the ones who are most responsive to your presence and to your initiatives. Raise the bar in your relationship. And when the spirit prompts, have a spiritual confirmation, conversation with them. Principle number five. Love your neighbor in true humility, not with a sense of false superiority. Jesus writes here, do not take purse or bag or sandals. And again, that kind of strikes me as interesting in this context. These are the people that are being sent out by God. But they're not just being sent out with good news or with their giftedness or out of their blessings. They're also being sent out of their need. They would come without resources. They would come without food. They would come without money. They would come without provision. They'd have to ask for help. They'd have to come humbly. Thinking about it, it's, it's actually kind of brilliant. As Jesus' follower, in order to love my neighborhood, I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to be perfect. See, I don't have to be the Bible answer guy. I can just be me, who God has called me to be. The truth is, we can only love out of a mutually common, needy humanity. I read about an eight-year-old who apparently was kind of a nerdy, chubby kid. A group of bullies were chasing him and calling him Fat Freddy. He ran toward the home of an elderly widow in the neighborhood. And as he ran, he prayed that she might be home and that she would let him in so he could escape. And she was. He would later say that that answer to prayer on that occasion deepened his faith not only in God, but also in prayer. His full name was Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. And it's part of the reason the neighborhood was such a precious thing to him. I don't know how much you know about Mr. Rogers, but he would wake up every morning at 5.30 to pray to read his Bible and to sing hymns before he went for a swim and then to work. He would weigh himself every single day. 
His entire life, he weighed 143 pounds. He said 143 was his favorite number because it takes one letter for I, four letters, L-O-V-E for love, and three letters for you, Y-O-U. Kind of corny, right? He was pretty easy to make fun of. That's also why he was loved. Only 5,000 students stood to applaud. We don't need to go into our neighborhood as Superman. We don't need to go as the answer person. We don't have to have all of our stuff perfect. We can go in our brokenness, in our corniness, which means we can all go. We could start today, which means we don't really have any excuses either. And like Mr. Rogers, we just need to fall in love with our neighbors and our neighborhood. Principle number six, invite them into the kingdom. Verse nine. You see, unless we are willing to tell our unchurched neighbors about Jesus, they will have absolutely no hope of eternal life. And so Jesus sends us out. We're his followers. He directs us to go to share the good news of his kingdom, of his community, to bring in the blessings of peace and hospitality and healing and hope. Remember those from last week? This is why we need to go. This is why we need to tell We need to tell them about Jesus crucified and risen. We need to tell them that Jesus is the one who has changed and transformed our own life. We need to tell them that whatever their messes in life, whatever their sins or mistakes are, Jesus can forgive them and they can know God's love and they can experience his joy. We need to tell them that they too can give their life to Jesus Christ and be a part of his family, part of his community part of his kingdom, and they too can take their place at his table. We need to tell them that when they're with Jesus, they can change the world. We need to tell them for their sake and for the sake of the kingdom. And finally, principle number seven, don't be discouraged by rejection. Verses 10, 11, and 12. Just to level the playing field, and just after we've talked about humility and not being perfect, let me ask you a question. How many of you here this morning have ever in your entire life been rejected? Maybe by a date, maybe by a job, maybe by a loan, maybe for a favor, maybe at school, maybe to get on a team, maybe in a a romantic relationship. If you've ever been rejected for any reason, raise your hand. All right, keep it up for just a moment. Look around. Aren't we a bunch of losers? Did that stop you? No, it didn't. And it can't stop us here either. This is so important. This is the mission of God. Jesus, like us, was rejected. Scripture says, the prophet Isaiah 53, that he was despised and rejected by humankind, by everyone. But being rejected, even the fear of being rejected, never stopped Jesus. 
never turned him into a negative person, never even slowed him down because he was all about the mission of his father. So Jesus says to his disciples, if you come to a place that's not receptive, just shake the dust off your feet and move on because there are people that will be responsive. Don't brood about it. Don't get discouraged. Don't consider it a setback. Hang in there. Shake it off. Because whoever listens to you will listen to me. Whoever rejects you will reject me. Jesus isn't saying if your neighbor doesn't like you, then you should tell him, if you don't like me, that means you're rejecting Jesus and you're going to be in big, big trouble. No, Jesus is saying, if someone doesn't, doesn't respond to your first conversation, don't get discouraged. It's okay. This isn't your idea. This isn't your plan. This is a God movement. This is spirit-centered. This is God's mission. Farmers know that after the harvest, there's always a feast. There's always a dinner. There's always a time for coming together. There's always a time when the harvest needs to be celebrated. When the prodigal son came home in the scriptures, in the story Jesus told, the father killed the fatted calf, which was just awaiting a party. And they had a feast. We know in the stories that Jesus told when the lost sheep was found, the shepherd held a party and his friends and neighbors came together. There was a celebration. When the lost come home, there's a celebration. A young farmer in First Oskaloosa CRC once said to me, you have to have the meal together afterwards. All that food and all them people and, and you're feeling so good, it's indescribable. There is a feast that awaits the full ingathering of the harvest. Jesus promised. Jesus said that feast is going to be absolutely glorious. And the best part about it is it will never, ever end. A couple of weeks ago, and again next Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate a foretaste of that eternal feast. We're going to do that together. We're going to accept Jesus' invitation to come together around his table. And every time we do that, we remember what our mission is, why we're here, what this is all about. To tell people that Jesus came, that Jesus suffered, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose, and that he did it all for us. <clears throat> and Jesus said, our coming together around the table is designed for us to promote that until he comes again. So here we are, our neighbors and the world. We're here to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus. We are his plan in our neighborhood. <clears throat> We're the whole plan. We're it. Jesus is asking, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Would you be mine too? 
Will you tell them? So I'm going to invite you to stand. We have a litany that will be on the screen. I'd like to invite you to participate in it. As God makes this personal to each one of us. Because Jesus said to those who would follow him, go, and in your going, make disciples of all neighborhoods and nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. As followers of Jesus, the Father calls us, Christ equips us, and the Spirit empowers us to go and make disciples. The Father sent his only Son into our neighborhood, not to be served, but to serve. And now he calls us to serve in his name and represent Christ to his world. We bring peace, hospitality, healing, and hope to a chaotic, unfriendly, hurting, despairing world. Jesus said, we will be his witnesses in our neighborhoods and in all of Hudsonville and in West Michigan and to the ends of the earth. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Ours are the hands with which we serve the hungry and thirsty, embrace the stranger and prisoner, and minister to the sick and poor. trust in God's care? Will you seek to love those in your community as Christ has loved you? Will you pray for your neighbor and for their eternal destiny? Will you represent Jesus in your engagements with neighbors? Will you love the gospel by living a godly life? So now Jesus sends us. Now we need to be disciples for Christ. Now we need to go. Now we need to do it. The harvest will not come in unless we go and bring it in. That will be a beautiful day in our Father's neighborhood. Let's pray together. So Father, you have called us, and now you send us. Father, by the power of your spirit, may we be your witnesses. May we be your ambassadors. May we be your emissaries in this world. Use us, Lord.
to bring in the harvest. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.